Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 387. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 387. Our first sponsor spotlight and thanks goes to Oregon-based Northwest Green Panels, designer and builder of a wide array of wood-framed greenhouses. Their greenhouses are 100% Oregon-made using twin-wall polycarbonate manufactured in Wisconsin, making Northwest Green Panel structures a great value for your backyard. The 8 by 8 foot modern slant greenhouse has become the essential hub of my cutting garden. Check out photos of my greenhouse in today's show notes or visit northwestgreenpanels.com to see more. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with Althea Wiles of Rose of Sharon Floral Design Studio in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So listen for our conversation at the close of this episode. Now, I'm delighted to share today's conversation with Nan Madison of Queen City Flower Farm in Cincinnati, Ohio. I met Nan virtually in 2015 when she emailed to introduce herself. It was a lovely note from a woman who would become a kindred spirit and friend. Nan wrote this, quote, one vase at a time. That was the line that hooked me. I could make one vase. I'm a podcast junkie and a gardener. Slow Flowers hit my radar either via Ken Drews or Riz Riaz early in the game. I listened all summer. I wanted to hang out with these people. I showed up at the ASCFG meeting in Delaware to explore more. I met you ever so briefly. I came home wondering, how can I be part of this movement? I could read between the lines. People already owned their land. There was a husband or family in the background. But let's be honest, I'm single in my late 50s, and I wasn't about to leave my good job with benefits. However, one afternoon in late November, I had coffee with a local CSA farmer who had no interest in flowers, and she said, Nan, come grow for us on our land, an offer I couldn't refuse. I spent the winter reading, ordering seeds and tubers, listening to more podcasts. By spring, I knew I still knew nothing about growing cut flowers, but I took the advice offered in multiple podcasts, just start. So I have spent this summer providing mixed bouquets for Finn Meadows CSA, a barnacle business, as one of your guests, Elizabeth Artis, would say. A mini microbiz, I say. I average seven bouquets a week, not much, but seven more vases of fresh local seasonal flowers sitting on someone's table each week. 
and I continue to listen to your podcast. Lucky for me, I'm heading to New York City this weekend, and although not planned, it turned out that I had scheduled myself the same week as the Field to Vase dinner in Brooklyn. Oh my gosh. So what's another day in New York City if I can catch that event? I hope to see you there. Final thought, Deborah. Trend is not a bad word. Embrace it. You've created a wonderful trend. Who am I to tell you what to say? I love your podcast. Its growth proves its worth. Sincerely, Nan Madison. Well, isn't that just the kind of email to enjoy reading and then savoring again and again? Nan and I did get to meet that summer of 2015 in Brooklyn, and subsequently we reunited at Lisa Wad's Flower House Detroit just a few months later. Nan joined Slow Flowers as a member. She attended the first Slow Flowers Summit and the second Slow Flowers Summit, and she's already scheduled to join us in St. Paul at Slow Flowers Summit number three. We've met up at other flower events as well. When Nan came to Seattle last month for a short visit, I told her we needed to record an episode for this podcast. Lucky for me, she said, yes, I know you will enjoy our conversation and laugh along with us. And you'll be inspired as I am by Nan's joie de vivre and her determination to grow flowers, even if just for a single vase of beauty. Check out today's show notes for episode 387 to see photos of Nan, her flowers, and her various projects, including a new Dahlia-filled venture, which she mentions in this episode. You will also find links to Nan's social places. She's one you'll want to follow and connect with. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so delighted to welcome today's guest, Nan Madison. Hi, Nan. Hi, Deborah. <laughs> We're both kind of chuckling that we actually are pulling this off and having um, an illicit interview in some ballroom at a hotel. <laughs> There's no um, dancing, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nan, um, some of you may know Nan from her Instagram handle, Queen City Flower Farm, yep. um, and that's how I know you. Uh, and you are based in Cincinnati, Ohio, right? I am, yes. So, okay, you're in Seattle. You want to just tell everybody why you're in the Pacific Northwest quickly, and then we'll jump to the interview? Yes, yeah, so today I spent uh, a workshop at the Heron's Wood, uh, Dan Hinckley, Heron's Wood, uh, propagating hardwood. So I have family in the Northwest, so I just use that as an excuse to come visit everyone and go to this workshop. I love a woman who flies across country to take a, a, a propagating class. <laughs> it's really extravagant, but, you know. And I just want to say, there's something about your philosophy of life that I've always appreciated, and you've brought it up to me a couple times, about this, like, if there's three things happening, I can get on an airplane. And describe that a little bit, because I think it's a good life philosophy. Right. So a lot of times I'll look at where these conferences are and then I'll find just something else in the city um, that's of interest or I may have wanted to do. Um, I'm fortunate to know a lot of people in a lot of different places across the country, so I can visit old friends sometimes or family. So I usually can put three things together and then it, then I can justify it. I love that. And I'm kind of the same way in that if I'm traveling, you know I'm going to find a flower farm exactly. or someone to interview. So exactly. I think it's great. Yeah, so, sometimes you invite yourself. <laughs> to. Yeah. But who would think there'd be a propagating class in the middle of January in the Pacific Northwest at a famous garden? So I love that you yeah. did that. So when I knew you were, found out you were in town, I was like, okay, well, we're going to get together and I want to get you on the podcast because I've had you on my wish list for a while. Uh, not that you knew that, but no, I didn't. you have such a great story. Um, 
let's talk about Queen City Flower Farm. Do you want to just give us a little snapshot of where you are and, and what that has, has been for the sure. last four years? Sure. So Queen City Flower Farm is in Cincinnati, Ohio. I grew on less than a quarter of an acre, and I grew on a farm that was being... So a, a young couple leased this land. They were growing all the vegetables. They had livestock doing the whole local f slow foods. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a conversation with Claire one day, and it's like, hey, come grow flowers on our property. So, so they had extra land they that had you extra could use. Land. Okay. Exactly. So I jumped in um, and just started growing and just really jumped in and said, like, this was an offer I knew was not going to come again because... As anybody in the city knows, um, land is hard to come by. Mm -hmm. So, so I grew. Was uh, that 2015 then when you started, or 16? 15. Okay. 15. Yeah, that's the year I met you. Yes. So, um, I sold through farmers markets, and I had a couple uh, retail florists. Um, basically, the farmers markets were through Claire, and there, I was just an added value to their produce. Um, and then I solicited a couple of florists. Mm. Um, yeah. And you just, just did it. And I just did it. Yeah. You I jumped in and I joined the ASCFG because like, we don't need to re reinvent the wheel. Like, Let's learn they, from people be, who've gone the, before me. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, just, you know, listen to podcast and just dived in. Yeah. Head first. <laughs> So I love that you're like a super fan, uh, or at least a super podcast listener, because I was remind we just sat down a little bit before this, and I was remembering that out of the blue you contacted me and said, maybe I'll meet you at the Field to Vase dinner in Brooklyn. I'm coming, and because I had been working for that, and um, I think that you heard about it on the podcast or something. Like I that. absolutely yeah. So I have a long commute for my day job, and I'm. Uh, Listened to a lot of podcasts. I I got in early on that game, and I found you at episode five, looking for garden. What? Pods, what? Looking for garden podcast. Wait, um, episode five, and we're now on episode like two hundred and eighty something. I know. Crazy, it's man. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. I so do, I need to come up with a special award for you. <laughs> you and David Brunton for yeah, Whitefield. Was, I wasn't even growing cut flowers then. It was just like gardening. I was yeah. into gardening. And You're just kind of trying to pass the time while driving. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was killing this commute. Um, hmm. But I found it, and it was like, oh, wow, this sounds interesting. I need to learn more about this. And so I learned about ASCFG through this podcast. I learned about the Field to Vase dinners. I mean, I've and learned slow flowers. Tons, slow yeah. flowers, the whole thing. Wow. So, But how many people who have, and we didn't really just, just explain completely. You said you had a day job. You work in kind of like corporate finance or something, right? I work in the financial services industry. <clears throat> uh, not nine all, to five. Nine to five. Not all corporate jobs are terrible. I have a great gig that I don't want to leave. So even when I decided to jump in with growing cut flowers, the whole slow flowers, I knew I was never going to give up this corporate job, but I did jump in head first and I devoted a, lots of evenings, lots of weekends to make it happen. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, I, we, I asked you about that when we were having drinks about how many, what your summers are like and your season at Queen City Flower Farm and because you're in Cincinnati, I mean, what is that zone? So we're zone, I'm in zone 6A. Okay. Um, basically, the season runs early May 
through October. We get our killing frost in October. And obviously, I was a field grower. I didn't have a greenhouse. I wasn't right. growing in, you know, high tunnels or anything. Did so. you, were you starting stuff in your house at home? Like I did flats? start, yes. Yeah, okay. my garage. Yeah, yeah. Because absolutely. you said you started in April. So I was wondering, like, what were your first crops that you were sowing? Like, cool annuals? Or? Cool annuals, snapdragons, orlea, um, just, yeah, all those early, mm -hmm. they would have been annuals that first year, you know, zinnias, mm -hmm. sunflowers, just the basic annual that we all grow. So do you feel like you kind of, I always say I fell down the rabbit hole. I feel like you definitely fell down the rabbit hole because <laughs> <Big> time. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> there could be other things. That, like I asked you if you had to give up your book group to do this. <laughs> no, no, I did not give up. I gave up a few other things, but not my book group. <laughs> Um, but why do you think that is? Like, what in your DNA just drew you to wanting to grow flowers, other than I just being, a, like, a person who liked to garden? Well, I think the gardening had a lot to do with it. I think, you know, at that point in my life, I was an empty nester. And I was like, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And I love your tagline, one vase at a time. Mm -hmm. I was like, <laughs> I can do one vase. <laughs> That's um, a good point. Little did I know I was going to be doing multiple vases. Yes. But... Who doesn't love a flower? Right. So I think it's just... It's creative. It's creative. Yeah. And yeah, again, it's very different from my day job, which yeah. is pretty analytical. You know, I'm in front of a computer a lot. So this really was a way for me just to be outside, do something physical. Yeah, we um, talked about it being more fun than going to the gym. Much more fun than going to the yeah. gym. Um, yeah. And, you know, everybody loves you when you show up with flowers. Right. It's just, Right. It's, you can make a lot of people happy. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's and over the course of four years, you really developed a local following of people who were buying your flowers through your kind of fellow, but they were kind of like co-farmers. Correct, correct. Booth yeah. at the store. You weren't having to physically go. I did not have to physically go to the farmer's market. That so helps. they covered two farmer's markets, and I would just make sure I had bunches for them to take when they you know, loaded up all their produce. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, like our agreement, I paid them a percentage of my sales. Mm. Um, so it just worked out because it, you know, was an added value for them. It was a way for me to sell without having to physically be at the farmer's market. Right, because if you that were at, at the farmer's market, then you're not even able to farm on the weekends. Exactly, right. exactly, yeah. Um, and so you were telling me uh, a little earlier that that, period of time is kind of coming to a, a transition point for you. Tell Correct. me about what, what's going on next. What's okay. your next chapter? Okay. So the land that we were growing on was a leased land and it's going to be developed, which again is a huge urban, if you're farming in an urban area issue. Um, wow. So did, by the way, did they find other land or Claire they, and her husband? They ended up, they're going to be um, running a ranch in California oh. for somebody. Big change. Big change for okay. them, but okay. perfect change. Um, yeah, so I knew at the end of the, well, I knew going into this that this lease was going to end, and I knew in that four-year period whether I would really love this, hate it, you know, someplace in the middle, and at the end of this four years, which is now, I'm in the middle. Hmm. Um, I, I think it's great though because you did you you did a, a serious due diligence. Absolutely, you you checked it out and you didn't. Which we know a lot of people who chase this dream, of being yeah. like, 
in the fields in a paisley sundress. <laughs> Not how it looks. <laughs> no, you're hot and sweaty and dirty and yeah. So you you you, yeah. you kind of did the four years and then right. had a, a chance to make a decision. I had a, exactly, and so I'm decided I don't want to run a business. It's very hard to do this part-time. You you do not do it justice. You don't do your customers justice. Mm. Um, you talked about that too. Just, like it's just, it's just not a side hustle that's it, it, viable. You don't do it well. Yeah. You don't do it well when you're doing it part-time. Yeah. So, yeah. so in the end, so I, one of my customers knew that I uh, was going to lose this land, and she comes to me one day and says, hey, you ever want a job? Let me know. And I initially said, no, like, oh, I'm going to do my own thing still. Mm -hmm. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, no, that's perfect. Wow. So, so describe that. Okay. So uh, it's the Marmalade Lily, and they have a venue barn, and part of their whole marketing spin is we grow all the flowers for the events that are held here. So she does about 50 weddings a year. Wow. So mostly a wedding venue. Mostly a wedding venue, yeah. but there wow. are, you know, any other kind of event can be held there. I checked out the website after you told me about this. It's a beautiful place. Wow. She did, yeah, it's, a, it's, you know, she built a barn with this vision. Okay. Like she knew this is what she wanted this okay. barn for. So, but, so over the, when I... As I was selling to her over the four years, I watched her business grow organically. Mm. You know, she didn't start out with 50 weddings, but that's what she did the most recent year. She's added a U-cut, U-pick garden. She does um, Friday night, she calls it Friday night, or Friday flower bars once a month. Mm. And that's just, you know, kind of a girl's night out, come make an arrangement. She does that monthly. But kind of like to drop in, like it's... it's no, it's, it's a reservation, have, okay. but it's very consistent. Mm -hmm. It's like every, she has it every month. It's always on a Friday. So people get into a habitual, they, yeah, well, let's go used, do that. Yeah, yeah, they're used to seeing that. That's um, creative. She's going to offer CSA subscriptions this year, is new for her. So... She has just grown organically, and, you know, her property, because it's a venue, it's just gotten more polished. Mm -hmm. You know, there's more plantings, mm -hmm. you know, each year she's added. Mm -hmm. And so when... What's her name, by the way? Laura. Okay. Laura. So when Laura made that offer to me, I was like, you know what? This is the kind of place I'd like to work. Because and you already knew they loved your flowers and they the, do what love, you grew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sold them dahlias. Um, they kind of struggled with growing dahlias, and I they oohed and awed over mine. So I'm just going to kind of take that expertise with me. I'm only going to be involved in the growing, not doing any of the design or running the U-pick or anything like that. But that's yeah. the part I love. Yeah, that's what you had originally got you into this, right? Exactly. Mm. So, you know, in this transition... This particular job, it just allows me to stay involved in the industry because I do love this local, seasonal, I love the whole concept. And so this way I can just stay involved and still, you know, bring what I've learned the last yeah. four years because um, I've learned a lot yeah. <laughs> in that last four years. Yeah. So, and just you've gone to a lot them. of Yeah, you've gone to a lot of conferences and workshops, but basically you've learned just growing but, and doing, doing it, right? Yeah, yeah, you can read and you can go to the conferences and I highly recommend that. But at the end of the day, you got to be out there growing it, making your own mistakes, trialing things, you know, because what works over 
you know, in some other state, might not necessarily grow mm -hmm. well where you are. Um, yeah, you just got to jump in. So I was teasing you uh, when we were having drinks that um, you're going to become the head Dahlia grower right. at Marmalade Lily. You don't know if that's actually your title, but we're going to call you <laughs> that. Gonna, yeah. I'm just curious, the dahlias that you were growing at the other, other property uh, with Claire, were you able to save any of those tubers? Or oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I still have hundreds of tubers. Wow. And so I... I do two things with those tubers. Okay. Number one, I will use them personally in my own yard. And then I'm also involved with the Cincinnati Dahlia Association. And they sponsor two sales every year. So I will donate a lot of those mm. tubers to that organization mm. for mm. their sales. Because mm -hmm. so. they absolutely have to be dug up in the fall in yes, Cincinnati. Yes. Right, yeah. Um, and then uh, Laura is also buying tons of varieties that she wants for her sure. palate for 2019 exactly. and Maybe yeah. you'll be, you'll be the sh steward of those. Right. Yeah. I'll just I'll just help grow. I mean, you know, I'll do all the things you need: plant them, weed them, and then whatever else. From you're a like a dream. She's <laughs> so lucky to have you. You know. Well, I'll I'll help seed. I'll help. I just want to be involved in the dirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, this this relationship that you have with the Dahlia Society is really interesting because I've seen you've posted things this past year with like there's been a, a, a show that you were involved in and right. is it I, and I've attended some of those shows they're probably similar around the country right yes yeah. so they're avid hobbyists basically right? avid hobbyists and okay. basically are you know there's four areas of promotion so you have the people who grow for competition and exhibits which is kind of what those societies are known for. Um, so you have those, you have people who are just interested in growing in their gardens. Um, now that the cut flower boom is on, there's, you know, some interest in that part. And then the fourth area are people who hybridize, mm. who are trying to create new varieties mm -hmm. and their stories are kind of the most fascinating to I me. Bet. Yeah. I mean, think about it. It's like like being an, I don't know, an archaeologist or something, like finding the roots of these new varieties. Well, it just, it takes years. It takes tons of patience and, you know, to get it um, recognized by the Dahlia Society, the national, there's mm. there's all this criteria that so they have to So it has to be, be named and all of that, right? It has to be right? named okay. and it has to be trialed. It has to be grown for, you know, three years and obviously it has to be a consistent Wow. You know, so. So you were saying that there's all this body of, like, heirloom body of knowledge in this particular society right. that you're going to invest some time in documenting, too. Tell us about that. Okay. So the organization is 88 years old. Wow. And one day I was listening to um, the Cultivating Place podcast, and she was interviewing mm. a woman from the Smithsonian Gardens. Mm. and Jennifer, good friend. She's another great, great podcast. Another great yeah. podcast, yeah. So so the Smithsonian, one of their goals is to archive and collect stories about American gardens. Mm. And they want the average American garden. You know, they have some real big estate type mm -hmm. gardens archives, but they're and really public gardens probably, yeah. Right. So, but they're looking for just the average gardener. So I'm listening to this and it's like, wow, you know, there's eighty eight years of history with this Cincinnati organization. And there are some hybridizers who they have commercially selling varieties today. Wow. Um, they so, can be traced back to that group. Yes. Wow. Uh, yeah. So Robin Royal and Ova Joe are the two biggies wow. that you can still buy commercially. Ooh. Do you have uh, photos of those? 
I'm sure we can find. Let's yeah, do that. Yeah, I want people to see yeah. those. So there, you know, and at one time Cincinnati was a trial garden for the national organization. So there's, there's just got to be a lot of stories here. So I want to basically interview these people because um, a lot of them are getting older. I want to interview these stories, capture this history, and submit it to yeah. the Smithsonian. Oh, that's for, wonderful. You know, these are people who, you know, they're doing this because they love the flower. They never got paid for these commercially grown ones. They were never doing it for the money. It was just the love of the flower, the challenge of creating a new variety. Mm. So I, I just think that's a great story, and it needs to be captured. Yeah, it's the passion of why people garden, really. Exactly, right? yes. And you were joking that you might be one of the youngest members of the Dahlia Society. <laughs> so you might have a few people who are in their 80s to talk to, yes, right? Yes, yeah. I really need to get those interviews going. <laughs> My gosh. So one of the things I love about you, and ever since I met you in 2015, and we've, our paths have crossed at a number of floral events, including you are one of the first attend you're the one the person who has attended both of the slow flower summits and you've already signed up for 2019 yeah. so i'm very excited about that but i think you, i put you into this category of like floral tourist and you i spend, admit it <laughs> <laughs> i'm a groupie <laughs> and you bring your girlfriends with you and your sister like you create you make people get excited about your uh your trips that you're putting together yeah. like how many of these do you do in a year <laughs> I really only do one a year. Okay. Yeah. Oh, your summer. Year. Your it's summer. Kind of a summer. Yeah. And again, it's just the the it's it's fun to go to these dinners because you get to see these farms. Mm -hmm. You get to go to other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of like the, Alaska. We saw each other up in Homer. Yeah. And again, like I wouldn't have gone to Alaska, mm -hmm. but I use that as one of my three. It's kind of my one of my three things. So. Um, I can go to this great dinner, and then I find two other things to do. So it's a great way to see the country, yeah. quite frankly. So if you're, you know, interested in geographically learning about this country, because it's so different in so many, absolutely, you know, so much variety. This is just a wonderful way to explore the the natural side of yeah. the country. Yeah. You know? And you can root for the sports team, but there's a whole other piece yeah, of the country. Yeah, there's that whole crowd that's going around to baseball stadiums, <laughs> yeah, but we're not exactly. interested in that. Yeah, I'm just doing it on the flower level. Yeah. But you're, you, that's what you kind of do with, with like a sisters, your sister right. or your girlfriends. Yeah, but girlfriend. the, the summit, um, you, you're coming to that. The summit I come to, I think, because, again, I find this a very fascinating industry. Mm -hmm. um, your lineup of speakers are quite interesting. Mm. And we can all watch videos, but to see somebody speak in person, be able to have a conversation with them. And again, you're just connecting with people who love flowers, who love this concept of local, seasonal, yeah. and it's a great group of people to know. Yeah, we have a good tribe, don't we? Yes. That's cool. Absolutely. I think that what it, what you're describing in your lifestyle is very similar to mine in that I say to my husband, like, I can go anywhere in the country and find a fellow flower lover mm -hmm. to connect with or gardener. Absolutely. And I think you're very much like that. And um, what a beautiful way to connect when we ha are so mired in social media and so mired in technology. Mm -hmm. The human connection is awesome. Like the fact that I got to see you tonight. Yeah. And I you're mean, getting on a, a red eye right, in a few minutes. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and even, you know, this workshop today, I went with someone who I met at an ASGF 
conference. And I just called her and I said, hey, I'm gonna, let's, I want to come to this in Seattle. You want to come with me? So yeah. it was great to reconnect with, yeah. you know, that, you know, um, Agnes today. So yeah. It was great. So uh, where are you now when you go home where it's kind of mid-January? Will you be, the difference not growing on your Queen City Flower Farm this year is you're probably not having to do so much crop planting, right? Not so much. But you're going to grow for yourself. I will grow for myself. You know, I've eliminated all the grass in my backyard. It is all beds of flowers at this point. Is it raised beds or what do you have? I have both. Combi- okay. Yeah, I have combination. Okay. Some raised, wow. some just straight in the ground. Um, but I will start doing seeding mm-hmm. within the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I have... Um, in your garage with like in flats my garage, and lights. Flats, yeah, yeah. I still have some Dahlia tubers to divide. <laughs> They've been sitting there. Just didn't be get fine. done before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I, you know, I pretty much have made done my seed orders. Just smaller quantities, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, part of growing in a backyard is you don't have to think about the commercial. Um, well, the you're not trying to was, sell everything that exactly. you're growing so, now, right? So there's some varieties that I can grow because they will be beautiful in a flower arrangement, but they're not necessarily long stem. So that's mm. the beauty of having mm. my own cutting garden. I don't have to think of, is this commercially viable? Will my florists still want this? Or, or Exactly. Yeah. Even though it sounds like they're going to, the florists you've been selling to are still hoping that Nan will have a few things for they them. They might, but yeah. Yeah. And so you, you don't, you do floral design. You're not trying to be a professional floral designer, but you're designing with, you're growing with design in mind. Absolutely. Okay. And the, the, one of the beauties of having done this intensive farming for the last four years is I know about a whole lot of varieties that I didn't know existed before. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so just what I plant is so totally different than what I would have planted oh five gosh, years ago. Oh my gosh, I really want to visit your backyard. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. A riot of flowers this summer. And you might be, well, you're still going to be off-site farming at Marmalade Lily, but your your backyard will get some attention. It will definitely get attention. Absolutely. You mentioned that you're going to be teaching a floral design workshop for um, uh, your alumni association. And I think, you know, I find that we take for granted that we know how to make a, a, a bunch of flowers look okay in a vase, even though we, we've never gone to like the London School of Floral Design or whatever, but it still comes comfortably to us. And then you you I realize that, that other people don't have that same level of comfort and it's surprising, isn't it? It is, yeah. And so you're helping them when you show them how to do something. Right, and, and to me, so this alumni group is, they're trying to engage younger women and um, I've been, I've done, arrangements for their annual luncheon for a mm, couple of years mm. now so you know i bring in these fabulous spring <laughs> bouquets that they just and they go all gaga over, over. <laughs> yeah because they've never seen anything like it so we're going to do i'm still going to do that this year but i also late summer when just everything is in bloom we're going to we call it the life hack series um and just love basic it. bouquet okay so i'm going to grow a lot of the flowers that are going to be used for that and exactly how many people do you think will come? I think uh, probably 30. Okay. But, yeah, it's like these are, these are people who are probably very, will respond very viscerally to these flowers. Oh, I think so, yes. They just don't have them in their lives. Right. And they'll be exposed to flowers they've never seen. Mm. Um, and that and, gives you a chance to, to educate, right. too. And, again, the design, you're absolutely right in that. Most people, they just don't, they've never done it, so they think they can't do it. Mm-hmm. And really there's some pretty basic 
design skills that you can give them some real simple rules. Is this a great designer? No, but it is. it will look better than the person who goes and buys that bunch of flowers, just sticks it in the vase, and that's it. And meanwhile, you're subversively educating them about absolutely. local flowers. Yes, and I will, you know, it, it absolutely it's a way to explain that whole system. We can talk about how they're imported. I can refer them to, like, you guys, these are farmer's markets you can be going to. There's mm. people who grow this. So, yeah, mm-hmm. very subtly, though, mm-hmm. very subtly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I almost feel like people just need to be given permission to trust that if just to design for their own pleasure yes and if you think it looks good then that's that's fine we're not judging exactly exactly i love it yeah and i even find like garden clubs that i speak to and that i've been members of you know i come out of horticulture and garden clubs um we never would like give ourselves permission to cut from the garden because we didn't want to denude the border or whatever so even that I had to get over that myself, and I find that I have to say to people, you know, cut from the back of the shrub or from the lower branches. It's You're not going to wreck your garden by right, cutting. Right. So you have to kind of, we and just that, take it for granted. And the fun of having a backyard cutting garden is that you're growing to cut. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. You're not trying to compete with the neighbors. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fun. Yeah, well, yeah. Dan, I have so enjoyed seeing you tonight, and thank you for talking on the podcast about Queen City Flower Farm and the new chapter for Nan Madison. I don't know exactly. Uh, I'm glad you're not changing the name. You're kind of no, just I'm taking just, a... Yeah, I can't quite give up ownership of that name. It, it really has brought me a lot of opportunities. I've met tons of people through this. Um, so I'm not ready to quite give no. it up, even though it's changing. Yeah. And Queen City must be some reference to Cincinnati, right? Yes, it's a nickname from for Cincinnati. <laughs> Sorry, I should have asked that at the beginning. It goes back to the 1850s. <laughs> um, Queen anything, City of the West. Anything I should ask that I didn't ask you that you want to make sure you mention uh, today? Well, I just I think um, you know, gardening in general is such a nurturing way for people to just kind of de-stress and when you give yourself permission it doesn't have to be perfect the the edges don't have to be (laughs) perfect it's just it's (laughs) so enjoyable so it's just such a I don't know everyone should at least have a potted plant I agree to get their hands dirty and I couldn't agree more will you share some photos of your flowers uh and your in your garden and uh good we'll put those we'll put those in the show notes and I I'm glad I'll see you in St. Paul on July 1st and 2nd looking forward to it summit and if you're listening and you're coming to the summit now you're gonna be looking for Nan (laughs) so you can tell her you heard her on the podcast did you ever think that we'd sit down and do this no 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 (laughs) I'm the flower groupie I'm (laughs) <laughs> I'm so glad we're doing this. I'm the outlier. <laughs> oh, no, no. You're, you're, you're a fabulous guest, and I'm so glad we did this. Thanks I, so much. Thank you. so much for joining me today as you heard my conversation with Nan Madison of Queen City Flower Farm. I love her story and I hope it inspires you and take a page from Nan because if you're coming through Seattle for any reason, get in touch. I might turn on the recorder for an interview with you. 
Our second sponsor spotlight today includes a thanks to Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. And now let's meet Althea Wiles of Rose of Sharon Floral Design Studio, who shares an Arkansas floral spotlight. Be sure to visit today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com to see photos of Althea, her floral designs, an all Arkansas-grown floral wedding, and find links to her social places. By the way, I've also added links to the flower farms that she mentions that provide her with local blooms. Well, today I'm so excited to be on the line with Althea Wiles of Rose of Sharon in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Hi, Althea. Hello. Thanks for jumping on the line with me today uh, to talk about what's going on with you in Arkansas. Uh, first of all, the full business name is not just Rose of Sharon. Can you say what the full business name is? It's Rose of Sharon Floral Design Studio. Uh, I recently moved to a home studio and just slightly changed the name from Floral Designs to Floral Design Studio. Mm. Oh, did you have a retail shop at one point? I did for about six years, and I realized that it just was not the focus that I liked. And after doing this for 20-something years, I wanted to go back to doing what I loved. And so I moved to a studio on my home property. And obviously that doesn't limit you at all because you still can have consultations with with your bridal clients and either there or somewhere else, right? Exactly. One of the things that made this possible was that a lot of my clients were doing uh, video conference calls anyway. And so I've just made that standard for my first meeting is that we do a video consultation. Oh, how interesting. Oh, that's that's a whole new tech bride, I guess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, as as I told you, uh, we are doing a state-by-state focus, uh, 50 States of Slow Flowers. And um, I've known of you and your business uh, for many years, but uh, we've never spoken. So um, could you give us a snapshot of of your business now? You kind of hinted at it, that you're moving into studio, but you've got a fascinating background. And the name Althea is fascinating. So I want you to tell us a little bit about that. Well, Althea is the Latin name for the Rose of Sharon. In Fayetteville, it's a bush. Uh, in Louisiana, where I was actually born, it's more almost of a tree. Mm-hmm. But it's the Latin name for Rose of Sharon. So when I decided to open my own floral shop, I, of course, went with the floral name that was not specifically me, but close enough. Um, I got that name because my parents in the 70s were full-on hippies and... <laughs> They had a ground cover wholesale nursery, and then my dad's parents and aunts, uncles, basically his whole family had nurseries as well, so grew up in the plant world. And so I got the hippie plant name. Um, (laughs) And most of my life, I actually went by Thea and just recently started using Althea. But from the start, Rose of Sharon was the name of my business. It, it, It couldn't be anything else. But I often get called Sharon by mistake, (laughs) especially by telemarketers, which is a nice little red flag. Um, You're like, if you're you're paying me, I will answer to Sharon, right? (laughs) Exactly. But if not, she is not available ever. (laughs) That's great. Uh, So I grew up with nurseries and plants and actually really disliked working in the nursery, but I loved the flowers. And Mm -hmm. so that's sort of how I started with uh, floral and then in college worked at some shops and finally decided to open my own. 
I've always been involved in the events. The weddings and the events were always my first love. Um, up until December of last year, for about six years, I had a retail location and realized that I really did not like having the retail part of it. Uh, and so I moved into a home-based studio in December, and I am absolutely loving working from home. I do all of my consult- initial consultations by video, and then we'll do site meetings if needed. And then, of course, large events we do we design on site, but we've got about just under 600 square feet of design space in our studio now. Wow. So uh, is Fayetteville the largest city in Arkansas or one of the largest cities? It's not. I, last time I heard, I think it was about third. But we're actually in a corridor of, of smaller cities from Fayetteville in the south to Bella Vista in the north. And that includes Fayetteville, Springdale, Rogers, Bentonville, and Bella Vista. Um, Bentonville and Rogers are where the Walmart home office is and right. things like that. So we've actually got a decent metro area, but each place feels very small town and local. And I'm on the south end of that. Uh, I think Fort Smith and Little Rock are actually bigger than mm. Fayetteville. And mm-hmm. Don't hold me to that because I haven't actually looked at it in quite a while. <laughs> I won't hold you to it, but I am fascinated by, like, how wide your reach is. And, and I'm, I'm just curious about, you know, it sounds like you cover all those, um, contiguous, uh, areas that extend yeah. beyond Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. And actually I will travel wherever I've done, uh, several in Missouri. I even did one from a wedding for my college roommate in Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll travel wherever we need to. But yes, most of our stuff is in Northwest Arkansas which is its own unique culture from the rest of Arkansas. It's very, uh, it, it just has a different feel from everything else, especially from Little Rock. Because you're kind of close to the Oklahoma border, aren't you? Yes. We're about, let's see, Fayetteville is, a, is only about 35 minutes, I think, from Oklahoma, but I'm in about 45 minutes to an hour from Missouri. So we're very close in that very top corner. Right, right. And we're in the Ozark Mountains as well, which is different from most of Arkansas, mm. which is more delta and mm-hmm. flat. I bet you have a lot of destination weddings in the coming to the Ozark area, too, because it's so beautiful. That, beautiful. Yes, that is actually growing in this area. I'm getting a lot more destination brides coming in. Either they went to college here or they've just found some of the really unique um, venues that we have and travel in for small weddings. So you said your family come, you know, you came out of a horticulture family, Althea, and I'm just yes. wondering, even mm-hmm. I know you have those roots and they kind of never leave you. Um, have those influenced your effort to try to source uh, local flowers or uh, domestic from domestic farms or what's sort of what's your your menu of options? Well, that has actually increased quite a bit in the last three to five years, I think. Uh, We've always had a nice farmer's market, but it's really taken off in the last few years. Uh, And there have been one or two long-term floral farmers in the area. Uh, And then recently, in the last three or four years, we've had a few more smaller ones that have popped up. Um, So we're, as a retail florist, we're always competing with the farmer's market and the farmer's market look. The customers can definitely go there and Mm. get beautiful, fresh flowers but it is a different design style. Mm-hmm. As far as weddings go, I, I started a program last year um, that I call Farm and Garden Grown, and we promise 80% of the fresh materials will be locally sourced. So wow. for me, 
it ends up being when the farmer's market is open, when the growers are available. So April to November is pretty much when I, I offer that. Um, it's difficult to get very specific colors, very specific flowers, and know what, what's going to be available six months, three months in advance. I pretty much have to say we will source it locally. We will do as much as we can, and we'll try for these colors. So, And then let the bride decide if the color is the most important or the flower or mm. having the locally grown mm-hmm. flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. It does end up being less specific on colors and flowers if we go mostly local. Uh, I had a really good job, good success with that program for Mother's Day last year. So several of our specials were just we sourced locally thing, grown things, and oh, people loved that. To give uh, um, Arkansas, Arkansas, weddings, so to give Arkansas grown um, flowers for Mother's Day, that was kind of a that connected with customers. They liked that uh, that program. Yes, they mm-hmm. really did love that. And then, uh, but for weddings, a lot of our brides still want to be very specific on flowers and colors. And so they may say, if you can use the local, do, but other, but I really want these colors and these yeah. flowers. And so we end up mixing. As far as on the, the back end, it's difficult because I don't know until two or three weeks ahead of time what's going to be available. Yeah, yeah. You uh, have to be yeah. really, you have to be really nimble in your, your buying and procurement to, yes. I, I guess also, it sounds like if when you are doing the local buying, you're also working with relatively small growers so you may not even be you may be mixing it up oh yes yeah we have um three that I use fairly consistently and there's probably three to four more that I can call and say do you have this or do you have do you have that Uh, or that I have a list of what they're planning on growing but it may not actually be blooming the week that I need it and Mm -hmm. so we store something else personally I love to be able to place my floral orders about a month out and I've learned with the local stuff, I just have to wait and place those orders a little bit closer. Yeah. So if you're, um, well, if you're running into a some kind of dead end, for example, on a palette or on a particular flower, and, and you have this flexible bride who's who's understands that it may not work out to get local. What are your um, what are your mm-hmm. what is your next option? Do you have a large wholesaler in Fayetteville, or do you have to? No. Okay. <laughs> we, wow. we don't actually. Uh, we have one company that drives the refrigerated truck three days a week, and then we have, and they're out of Springfield, which is two hours away. We have another company that's out of Springfield that I can order and have delivered every day, and then I have a, a supplier out of Fort Smith that does the same. So as long as I get my order in by nine thirty or ten, I can get it same day. Mm-hmm. Um, but that go to the market and look and see what's available. That has never been possible for us. Wow. That must it, be super, definitely planned. That must be super frustrating for a floral artist to not. Well, I've never done it any other way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is the area that I've always done. It, and so that's always been the way it was for me is mm-hmm. I, I plan the order ahead of time and order and make special order if I need, if I need them to, but I've never been able just to go with a, a budget and pick things that are pretty to design with that has that's completely foreign to me well yeah i mean obviously you've done it this you've created the best practices for your business and it sounds like it's mm-hmm. su- successful and maybe as these smaller farms um mature maybe you will have a little bit more ability to actually choose flowers especially in the as you said spring to fall season um when local yes. products yes. are available but- 
the, the two larger farms around here, they have consistently had the same flowers year after year. So I know that if I need ranunculus at a certain time of year, that that farm will have it or mm. uh, the sunflowers that they're going to be a good size. And so I can sort of plan on those types of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're always experimenting with something or if it's, it's a bad crop, um, you know, or we have a late frost and we, we can easily have a frost in late April that's hard enough to kill a lot of stuff. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. you know, that know. It's, it's not a guaranteed thing. Or we have a very warm spring and the peonies are a month early. And so we don't have them when we expect them. Right. Can you mention the names of some of the farms that you are able to source from? Sure. Uh, Woodbine Mead is one of my favorites. And they're local in Springdale. And then there is uh, Dripping Springs. And they've been around for quite a while. They're in Madison County, which is about an hour from me. Um, Flourish is another one. And then there's a new one in South Missouri that I've worked with a little bit called Gardenia Farms. Mm-hmm. And all four of those have excellent flowers that I've used. Oh, that sounds great. Well, but, I, I'd love to show some of your yeah. photos of some of your designs that kind of fit into that special program that you have. What did you say it's called? The Garden mm-hmm. and Farm or... Farm and Garden Grown. Okay. And yeah. I can certainly send you some pictures of our Mother's Day specials. And then actually we did one wedding last year that was all locally grown. And I think I have photos of those as Oh, well. that would be so nice to show. I, I feel like you're probably kind of pioneering the, the, even the idea of local with your clients by having these programs, even if maybe it's not a huge part of your business. It's, it's just modeling this is a choice if people know enough to ask for it. Right, exactly. Uh, there are some definite hardships to it. I mean, having a small farm, I know from experience, is hard. It's a very difficult business, and so I really do support the small farmers. Um, but the brides have to know that they have to be flexible if we mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to be firm, Althea. <laughs> Take things under control. <laughs> well, what are you excited? Yes. What What's going on that you're excited about for 2019? It sounds like the big news is that you're kind of out from under the burden of a retail schedule. Uh, just yes. that probably has freed you freed you up considerably. It has. I'm back to focusing on the weddings, events, and sympathy work, which is absolutely my love. Uh, the weddings are. I, I'm just not stressed by having the retail. I will absolutely do a birthday arrangement or get well soon arrangement, mm-hmm. but it's not the focus. It's mm-hmm. the weddings and the events. Um, and actually, sympathy work. I absolutely love sympathy mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Um, we do. We work with some of the local nurseries, and we do a lot of uh, planters. Um, I try and get locally grown flowers for those as well. Mm, right. Uh, well, so mixed planters, <laughs> and those are big for the sympathy stuff. Well, that's obviously in your genes coming out of the nursery trade. So I would, I, <laughs> that's a good point. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. I, I'm really excited to see um, the growth of of your corner of Arkansas. Maybe you can send me a list of those farms we discussed so I can add sure. them to our show notes and link to them as well. And I, I thank you for being a pioneer and for modeling the Soulflowers ethos as, as a facet of a more full service business. And I... I think this is something that I run into sometimes where, where a florist will say to me, well, I, I'm not 100% exclusively able to serve uh, my clients with local flowers, right. so I don't think I qualify mm-hmm. for being part of Slow Flowers. And I'm really, what I'd love to sh- now use you as an example to say, it's just being available 
to respond to those requests and know how to find local flowers, even if it's not, you're not able to do 100%. I still think that's uh, moving the needle. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed this. Oh, good. I have too, and I'm really looking forward to seeing photos of your work. I've, I've spent some time on your website, and it's um, it's lush and wedding-centric, and uh, it'll be fun to show that, that all-Arkansas wedding. Uh, so thanks so much, Althea. I really appreciate you giving us a snapshot of your corner of Arkansas. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. much for joining me on this journey, seeking new and inspiring voices, people with passion, heart, commitment, and expertise to share with you. I hope today's episode gave you at least one inspiring insight or tip to apply to your floral enterprise. What you gain will be multiplied as you pay it forward and help someone else. We have a vital and vibrant community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement as our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry. The momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column on the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks today goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. The Slow Flower Summit is five months away, so please save three dates on your calendar as you plan your travel to St. Paul, Minnesota. First, our bonus flower farm tours and Slow Flowers Dinner on the Farm take place on Sunday, June 30th. Then, Monday, July 1st, we will all gather at the PICA event space for day one of the summit followed by Tuesday, July 2nd, where we will tour the Twin Cities Flower Exchange, swimming in locally grown flowers. And that all takes place in St. Paul, Minnesota. I can't wait to see you there. Ticket sales continue with a special Slow Flowers member discount at $375. So please make your way to slowflowersummit.com to learn all about the many opportunities to join us. From flower farm tours and dinner on a flower farm, to business and branding presentations, to interactive and inspiring design sessions, all created to serve you. Sign up to receive updates at slowflowersummit.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 405,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, as Nan Madison enjoys hearing me say, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.